Support for this Merger Monday edition of Market Foolery comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, who are excited to introduce their all new Rate Shield Approval. If you're in the market to buy a home, Rate Shield Approval is a real game changer, and here's why. First, Quicken Loans will lock your rate for up to 90 days while you shop. If the rates go up, your rate stays the same, but if rates go down, your rate also drops, so either way you win. It's the kind of thinking you would expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, Go to rocketmortgage.com slash fool. It's Monday, August 20th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, Jason Moser. Are you ready? I'm ready. Hey, listen, I was ready at like five o'clock this morning. I got up to take my mom back to the airport. And so I saw I saw this news bright and early. I woke up to emails from listeners saying, You're gonna talk about this, right? Yeah. We've got restaurant news and we've got sports media news, but it is Merger Monday, and we're starting with the news, of course. That Pepsi is buying SodaStream for the cool sum of $3.2 billion. Pepsi is paying $144 a share. It has been a really good year for SodaStream shareholders because it started the year at just under $70 a share. Yeah, that's a lot of seltzer. I mean, it's. SodaStream has had a very interesting. Let's just look at the last five years. I mean, I think the last five years the stock has been on a bit of a roller coaster, and recently it certainly has made a comeback here. I think, generally speaking, you have to like the trend this plays into for Pepsi because of the headwinds soda faces. And also, I think just this fight against waste. Excess plastic bottles, whatnot. This is really what SodaStream is is battling, and you know it gives you that device in your home that you can make your seltzer. And they did really focus on being able to make your own soda for a time, but since soda has more or less become a pariah, now they're focused on just saying, "Hey, you can still make seltzers and flavored waters and whatnot." And I think, given Indra Nui's global take on things, I think she likes this this kind of of message. I mean, fighting. Obesity and soda consumption, and fighting waste with plastic bottles. Um, I I do kind of feel like I don't know, man. I, I, they are buying SodaStream at the very top. So that's <laughs> yeah. I, I can't help but feel like maybe a few years from now we're going to see a big goodwill write down on Pepsi. Oh, really? On Pepsi's part. I mean, I feel like they're probably going to going to have to write down some of this. Just be, I mean, this is not a cheap deal by any means. They really are getting SodaStream. At the peak of a recovery, and any any challenges they may have faced in the coming years, I think the stock has gotten a little bit ahead of itself. When you consider that it really is a European play still, right? It's a play on Western Europe, not not as much on the U.S. So it will be interesting to see if there's a write down because I had a similar thought, which is um, I like the move. Indra Nooyi going out with a heck of a mic drop, yeah. <laughs> wrapping up her 12 years as CEO. So I like the deal. The the thing that I questioned was not so much, wow, they're buying this at SodaStream's top. To me, it was, I mean, yes, that is the truth. But I, I also looked at it as, boy, it's not like they just started working with SodaStream. Right. That's, that's why I think if you're a Pepsi shareholder, even if you like this deal, you do have to ask the question, what could have been? Because they've been working with SodaStream for years, and certainly, if they had looked to pull the trigger on this deal even a year ago, you got to figure they're paying at least a billion dollars less. So, so that's the only thing. I, I, I don't know. I, I guess we'll, uh, we can have a um, 
And we can bet a cup of coffee on mm. uh, on whether or not there's a write down because I think I, I like the move, but considering how long Pepsi has worked with SodaStream, that's the thing where you just go, boy, if they had bought this, they could have gotten this thing for a billion dollars. Maybe two years ago. Yeah, it sure feels that way. And I mean, we we love these razor and blade models. Where I mean, you have a company that's selling a device or a contraption, and then you have to keep on refilling that device or contraption with something that is specific to that actual device. Uh, and I look at the Keurig Green Mountain machine versus the SodaStream. I mean, there's some similarities there. I mean, certainly we've seen how successful the Keurig has been. Um, I think it's a little bit of an easier device to use the Keurig. I think the Keurig probably lives a longer life on most uh, countertops here, at least domestically. And, and I think the reason is because it's the device and then the pod, right? You're not really having to make another leap there. With the SodaStream, it's the device and it's the gas cartridge. And then you have to either add your flavoring or you just get your water. But but what I found in having used the soda stream that we have here at work, which incidentally just sits in and it collects dust now, I mean it does. It, you have to. It doesn't really seem to carbonate as well as perhaps some of the seltzers you might buy in the store. I I, I felt like if we bought a soda stream machine, it would ultimately just collect dust. And, and I love seltzer. I mean I drink a lot of it every day. Um, again. This is a a play primarily on Western Europe. We've seen that domestically here, SodaStream, at least at this point, isn't isn't gaining as much traction. That's not to say that it won't down the road. And certainly, Pepsi has a massive distribution network where they could they could uh, pull some more levers and and possibly get the thing into more homes and cut prices and figure out new ways to, to monetize it. So I mean, I think ultimately it's something that fits into their model very well. It just wow, they're paying a lot for it. I mean, the upside there is it's all cash on the balance sheet. They have the money to do it. It's just going to be an acquisition they make, and then New Year gets to ride off into the sunset, saying, "Hey guys, do well. See you soon. Bye." <laughs> Go ahead and knock that out. <laughs> Adidas is partnering with Twitter to live stream high school football games starting next month. This is in a series they're calling Friday Night Stripes. I'm assuming because uh, they would be sued if they <laughs> named it Friday Night Lights. <laughs> This, I'm curious what you think of this because this seems like a small win for both Adidas and Twitter, with maybe slightly more upside for Adidas. Yeah, I think you're probably right there. I think I, I like these kinds of deals. I think they're generally win-win uh, for both parties involved. I think Adidas here gets the brand exposure that is really gunning for, and Twitter gets a chance to demonstrate its utility here for a younger demographic. Honestly, I mean, this is something where. We talk about these networks, whether it's Twitter or Snapchat or Facebook. You need to demonstrate utility for a wide cross section, right? And so we're trying to see if Snapchat can perhaps demonstrate that utility for the older audience. And Twitter, I think they really kind of have to figure out how to maintain relevance with that younger audience. And one way to do that is to keep on throwing content out there that that a lot of people like. And I actually liken their video strategy a little bit to Netflix's. And the reason why I say that is because they tend to want to cast a very wide net and show a bunch of different stuff that is just a little bit of something for a lot of people out there, right? I mean, I'm not going to go watch Middle Atlantic Lacrosse, probably, but there are plenty of people that will. Uh, high school football, it's interesting to know this is going to be something that spans the country. It's going to have 
the top high school teams really in the country playing. So this is going to be actually pretty compelling content for the football enthusiast as well. The incremental cost for Twitter doing this modest at best. I mean, this is something where they get to really utilize that infrastructure that they've already built and proven out. Gives them the opportunity probably to monetize on the advertising side. Adidas gets the brand recognition. So I think it's a win-win, easy bet. And. To go back to the Netflix comparison, you have to assume that part of Twitter's thinking here is similar to Netflix's in this regard. Well, if we can get people to try this, hopefully we can get them to stick around. With Netflix, it's creating buzzworthy shows, Orange is the New Black, House of Cards, you know, any of the shows that Netflix has done, same sort of thing where it's like, if we can just get people onto our platform for this one show, maybe they'll stick around. And in the case of Twitter, it's, you know, they're being smart. This is not just Southeast United States high school football, it's across the country, same sort of thing. If we can get people, on the Twitter just to check out this platform, maybe we can get them to stay. Yeah, and it's not exclusive to to just logged in users either. I mean, this is going to be logged in, logged out users. I mean, you're going to be able to get this content regardless. And I think that yeah, there there are a number of benefits to that. I mean, that really gives you the biggest potential audience you have. Um, and and then it also it, you know, not only does it give you a chance to sign up new users, but I think it helps them steer that conversation. Away from this monthly active user number or even daily active user number, and really just showing that wide-reaching sort of that wide-reaching network that Twitter has, where people are going to see that content all over the place. You may not be a Twitter user, but if you're watching TV, chances are pretty good you're going to see a lot of Twitter content out there regarding something. And and so I mean with with sports I mean that's a great vertical for Twitter I mean we've seen the the impact it has when they stream the NFL games and there's a lot of potential there it's not going to be just one sort of uh, big deal that really knocks it out of the park for these guys I think it's going to be a lot of these little deals uh, that that aid companies on the other end of the transaction looking for that brand exposure looking to Twitter as as a as a unique and, and good fit for the content they're trying to get out there. These are little deals. Buying a home, that's a big deal. Yes. And because of rising interest rates, a lot of unpredictability when it comes to buying a home. And some folks are getting anxious, and our friends at Quicken Loans are doing something about that. They're calling it the power buying process. And it works like this Quicken Loans will verify your income, assets, and credit in less than 24 hours to give you a verified approval that gives you the strength of a cash buyer. And then once you're verified, you qualify for their all new exclusive rate shield approval. They'll lock your rate for up to 90 days while you shop. And the best part is, if rates go up, your rate stays the same. And if rates go down, then your rate also drops. So you win either way. It's the kind of thinking you would expect from America's largest mortgage lender. Maybe that's how they got to be America's largest mortgage lender. <laughs> to get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash fool. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSConsumerAccess.org, number 3030. Uh, I mentioned listeners emailing about the Pepsi SodaStream story. Yeah. Got to say thanks to Lee Watson, uh, a listener who posted this story in our Facebook group, which anyone can join if you're on Facebook, Motley Fool Podcast. Um, courtesy of the Charlotte Observer, a story about Bojangles. 
your your beloved Bojangles closing Bojangles. closing underperforming restaurants, dropping some menu items, all of which leading to the speculation that Bojangles might be prepping itself for a sale. And when I saw that headline, I thought, well, wait a minute. And then one by the time I got done reading the story, I thought to myself, you know what? I, I think that's the way to bet right now. I think you're probably right. Um, when when Bojangles went public, the the first question that I had when the company went public, I mean, trying to separate my personal feelings for the Cajun chicken fillet biscuit <laughs> with the actual business itself, my biggest question. And by the was, way, we like we laugh about that, we joke about that, but that like your experience right there. That's something that so many of us as investors have to do. Yeah, is separate our own personal experience, which can be great or it could be terrible, and the case for investing in a stock can be the opposite of what our own experience is. Absolutely, and in in many cases it it can be, and and I think that is one of the tougher lessons to learn as an investor, and one of the more valuable ones you can learn and carry on with you for for the rest of your investing life. Uh, when it comes to Bojangles, the number one question I had out there was, does this company have what it takes? Does the brand have what it takes to reach beyond its its quintessential southeastern identity? And and the answer I think here is really no. I mean, they they haven't been able to take this concept across the country and grow it to the extent that they thought they could in the S one they filed when they went public, and so. I mean, I can't say I'm terribly surprised by that. By the same token, you know, I wish they could. I mean, I do, I do feel like uh, there is plenty of opportunity out there for the product that they're selling, but it's it's also a very crowded market. I mean, you have KFC out there, you have Popeyes Chicken. Um, I mean, look at okay, restaurant brands owns Popeyes, and Yum owns KFC, and then you have Bojangles out here, kind of on its own. And so I think for a while. While we were perhaps hoping to see Bojangles make it on its own, back in 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 the back of my mind, I knew it was probably going to end up being acquired by someone and being a part of a bigger company because that's how most of these restaurants have to have to work these days. It's very difficult to make it on your own in the food service business, particularly fast food, which is is the market in which they compete. So I I think the chances of them being acquired are probably. Better now. I think there are a number of different ways they could go. I think Inspire Brands is is the the going uh, favorite to bring them into the family. Inspire owns Buffalo Wild Wings now and Arby's, um, and Inspire is is a company that's owned actually by Rourke Capital, which is in Atlanta. And last I checked, Atlanta's pretty familiar with that Bojangles brand, so it wouldn't shock me at all to see that happen. It's just it's such a tough business to compete in, especially if you're if you're just new and getting your feet under. And we saw the same kind of thing with Zoe's right last week when we saw Zoe's acquired by Kava. I mean, I think that made sense too. Zoe's it's not a small inconsequential concept, but it's just really difficult to get out there and compete, especially if you can't grow that brand countrywide. Right? Although. To go back to Zoe's, I mean, you look at just through the lens of the stock, Zoe's Kitchen, those shares were getting crushed. Yeah. And they got a complete, and by they, I mean shareholders got a complete lifeline in Kava Group buying them out. 
Shares of Bojangles for for whatever struggles they're going through, stocks up twenty percent. Yeah, but I mean, it's not year to date. It's not been a great public life. I mean, the stock is down from the IPO. So I mean, you you can like investing is always a matter of when you got in, and um, and I think that for anyone who got into Bojangles at, at the beginning of the story is probably feeling like. The investment didn't work out so well, but perhaps there is some light at the end of the tunnel. Perhaps there is a bit of a premium that that they go go out at. I mean, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that they will be acquired at some point because, I mean, Bojangles has been around for a lot of years. It's not like it's just some concept that's failing. It's just a concept that's very difficult to grow on its own. And there are a lot of companies out there, private and public, that would love to have. A brand that really tackles one part of the country well, and, and, and you know when you can get those types of brands and run efficient operations, franchise operations like Bojangles are in many cases, um, they can be immensely profitable. So last uh, week on Motley Fool Money, one of the things we talked about was J.C. Penney, how yep. they're still without a CEO. Um, I was reminded reading this story in the Charlotte Observer uh, about the uh, you know abrupt. Uh, resignation of Bojangles CEO back in March. They've got an interim CEO right now. Is that as much as anything? Is that sort of the thing to watch with Bojangles? Is barring an announcement of someone coming in to buy them? It kind of seems like an announcement about the CEO, whether it's the interim CEO is now being made permanent or we found a new CEO. It seems like that's going to be the next best clue of the future of Bojangles. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know that it really is going to mean anything one way or the other at the end of the day. I mean, if they get someone in there on a more permanent basis, any which way, I'm sure the person that ends up getting that job on a permanent basis is going to come out with like their three or four step plan and how they aim to revolutionize the brand and turn things around. And we know that a lot of times that's just. Stuff they have to say, right? I mean, we're not going to hire some CEO just to go out there and tell us how bad we suck. <laughs> we want that CEO to go tell us how things are going to get better. Um, so there may be the chance where where they do make something official. But my bet is that given the equity, given given the VC owner interest in in Bojangles the way it is today, I mean, there is a a majority stakeholder there that is trying to realize the best return on their investment they can. So they're going to be the ones pulling a lot of the strings anyways. And the market cap right now is around five hundred million dollars. So you have to assume that if they get bought out, it's it's not going to be. They're no, not. It's... They're not getting SodaStream money. <laughs> no. No. I mean, we talk always about like that thirty percent premium and whatever that really means. I mean, I think that's maybe a rule of thumb. But yeah, I mean, I don't think this is something. I I definitely would not buy shares of Bojangles today on an acquisition thesis. I mean. It very well may happen, um, but if it doesn't, then you've got this struggling restaurant concept that doesn't really have any strategy in place and doesn't really have a leader that's married to the success of this business to date. If you get a CEO in there who, who you know, they, they announce a CEO on more of a permanent basis, then perhaps you have a little bit of something to fall back on. I mean, that kind of goes back to why we talk so much about leadership because really. Leadership can make all the difference in the world, and we've seen certainly. I mean, McDonald's, I think, was a great example, right? You had Don Thompson that jumped in there, and and I mean, he was very well experienced with the company, he was COO for a number of years, and he he had a year and he couldn't make anything work, and then you get Steve Easterbrook in there, and the guy just can't do anything wrong. He brought McDonald's back from the dead, so it's a. Uh, yeah, I mean, oftentimes it just does come down to leadership. We're not bullish on Bojangles stock. We are, however, bullish on breakfast. Extremely, and they are too, right? That's like forty percent of their business. That's another. That's another problem, really. Believe it or not, I mean, when you set, when most of your business, when so much of your business depends on 
breakfast. I mean, breakfast is a very competitive space too. We've seen it already. I mean, it just uh, it's tough to fight. As Ron Swanson said, there's never been a sadness that cannot be cured by breakfast food. I agree with that 100%. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>